Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. continue on in the book of First Peter. We're coming to a close in this last month. And as we come to this close, we've talked a lot about how in First Peter, the believers there are exiled, meaning they're not in their homeland. And so things are foreign to them. But one of the things that we want to enter into is the idea that they are suffering from persecution. In these last few chapters, we're going to deal with the issue of how they respond to that suffering. As a child, somewhere you realized that life did not always work the way it should. It didn't always play by the rules. You might have not used the word injustice, but you might have said unfair. As a little kid, I realized my sister was unfair. She would make the rules and in the middle of the game, change the rules. Somehow her toy can fly, but my toy can't fly. And I would cry out, that's unfair. And as a child, you somewhere realized that. And then as an adult, somewhere you followed the rules and you saw people being lifted up that weren't following the rules. You saw people being chosen that were doing things that you knew they should not do. And yet somehow they got chosen over you. We've seen systems set up against groups of people in ways in which keep them down. And so as we look in our own lives and in our own context, we think about how life can be tragically unfair. How life can set in motion in a way where you think to yourself, things are not working the way that I thought. But as we look at the context of our own lives, it's very important that we understand the context of 1 Peter. In the book of 1 Peter, you're dealing with persecuted Christians. At this time, there was what they call the the great fire of Rome. In this great fire, it happened in an urban context. It would be July 19th, AD 64. The fire started in merchant shops burnt two-thirds of Rome. The fire was there for six days. They tried to put it out. It went out, but somehow it started again, and it went three more days. Nine days of fire. Two-thirds of Rome would be burnt down because of this fire. Homes completely set ablaze. But while the fire is burning and slowly being taken out, accusations would begin. People would wonder, who started the fire? Historians would note that Nero started the fire because he wanted to set the architecture in a more Greek style there in Rome. And so to stave off a public lynching by the people because he set Rome on fire, he decided 
to accuse a small group of people called Christians. In this new sect of people, they had no power, they had no one in government, no one to fight for them, completely oppressed, completely marginalized. From that accusation, the Roman authorities would go and they would begin to round up Christians. They would put Christians, they would wrap them up in meat and set them to the dogs. They would put them in tar and light them on fire and emperor, uh, the, the Emperor Nero, they would say, would use them as candles to light up the night. Oftentimes he said he would want, if he wanted a dinner party, he would use them as torches. Now, think about the context where your home has been burnt down, you're being accused of something you didn't do, and now there are people that you know and love called brothers and sisters in Christ being tortured for, for doing nothing wrong. It's in that context that Peter is wanting them to respond in a godly way. So before we use the word unfair, let's just understand the context of unfair in the text. Persecuted at this time meant your life could end. And here, what Peter is essentially saying is, when you have been treated unfairly or you are being persecuted, it becomes a platform for people to see Christ in you. The unbelieving world begins to watch how you will respond. And he wants you to respond in such a way where your hope becomes evident. A hope that you have that would make people curious in God. An evident hope that makes people curious about God. Why haven't you reviled? Why haven't you begun to talk about them? Why haven't you come back at them? Why are you all seemingly having peace in the midst of all these storms? It makes people question how you continue to have hope. In this room today, there are varying levels of hope. Some of you have had life treat you wildly unfair. And because of that, you may feel hopeless. Others, you may not feel that way, but disappointments are inevitable. And because of that, God has going to put you, listen now, God is going to put you in a situation that's wildly unfair, wildly unjust, and it is all to put himself on display through you. To say it again, God is going to put you in a situation that's wildly unfair, wildly unjust, and it's all so that he can put himself on display through you. Because though he was innocent, he reviled not. And so this is the context of our lives. And so he's going to give us several things to look at in order for us to be ready to be able to give an answer for our hope. Look here in 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. 1 Peter 3 verse 9. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. Somebody say that with me. But on the contrary, 
Bless for though for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. When he says, do not repay evil for evil, you don't need a Greek text to understand that sometimes you want payback. You want to treat people the way they treated you. And he's saying, if someone has been evil to you, don't come back with them with the same energy. And he also used the word revile. Because in reviling, he's talking about words being spoken. Reviling is nothing more than evil words. So if someone is speaking evil words about you or to you, do not come back to them with those same evil words. Well, how is this possible? Notice what Peter says. On the contrary, do the very opposite of that. Bless, meaning uh, encourage, speak well of, uh, send a blessing towards them. Now, he says, for this you were called. And so if I could say anything simple here, it would be the reason why you don't pay evil for evil is because you're different. You aren't them. You have been called to live a different life and you have not been called to treat people like they treat you. You have been called to treat people like God treated you. So here, notice he says the calling. And so in, in many ways, if you're going to live this kind of godly set apart life, you've got to consider your calling, but you've also got to consider the condition of their lives. First, understand when he says the calling on your life, he, he, he mentions this and it harkens back to what Jesus says in Luke chapter six, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now, I can think of a lot of benefits of loving people who love me. I can help Jesus out in this text. The whole reason why we love people who love us, love us because that's the benefit. I'm going to love you because I know I'm going to get love in return. I'm going to bless you because I know you'll bless me in return. I'll care for you because I know you're going to care for me in return. In other words, I get the benefit of getting back what I gave to you. But he says if you follow that pattern, that means if you love people who love you, that means you'll pay evil for people who did evil to you. So we cannot follow the rhythm of giving people what they gave us. He says you've been called to something much different. Notice he says, he says this in the context of saying, for even sinners love those who love them. So in other words, if we're talking about etiquette and kindness and just treating people like they treat you, everyone does that. There's nothing unique or spiritual about treating people the way they treated you. What is unique and spiritual? is treating people who have given you evil with love. That is unique, that is dynamic, and that is set apart. And that's what you've been called to be, set apart. Not set in the world, not like everyone else, but set apart. And so what he says here, notice though, because if you're just doing this because Jesus says to do it, then you might lose steam. But he says there's actually a blessing in it. Uh, Jesus says, what benefit is that to you? 
Well, the benefit he's speaking of, Jesus is speaking of, is what Peter talked about. He says that you may obtain a blessing. He says every time you have obedience in the midst of opposition, it creates a divine blessing on your life. And so the word benefit and the word blessing are used synonymously from Luke and in Peter. God has divine resources available to you and you get to use the benefit of those divine resources when you are being reviled, when evil comes at you and you seek him and you don't come at them, you get a divine blessing. Divine resources do not mean that you're gonna always get, if someone has stolen from you, it doesn't mean you're gonna get that money back. It means you're gonna get a divine resource, which is much better. So you might get money stolen, but you might get greater peace. So divine blessing is not always physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. It's not always here. Sometimes it's later. But you can bank on it because it's a benefit for you. Jesus says that's a benefit. What, ben what does it benefit you if you give people what they give you? But you do get a benefit when you treat people like God treated you. When I was young, I worked for an organization. And in a classic motherly way, my mother said, Baby, you know you got full coverage? I was like, what's that mean? She was like, that's health coverage, baby. I was 22. She was like, go get your eyes checked. I was like, why would I get my eyes checked? I can see. She was like, you should just do it because you have the benefits. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you've got full coverage. That means anything you go through, they've covered it already. Don't you understand? You're not exercising the benefits you have. And in many ways, when you give people what they give you, you're not exercising the full coverage because his blood covered us fully. And that means that we do not have to worry about giving people revenge. We don't have to worry because he died. He looked like he lost, but he rose again, so he won. And he has great victory and he rose with all power. So you don't have to fight for yourself. He'll fight for you. And let me just say this. I don't have the time. But let me just say this. Obedience, obedience will lead to blessing. But if you, get, if you do revenge, if you repay, there's another re comes with it, and that's regret. And you've, you've been there before. You've, listen, listen. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I know I'm better. I know that wasn't me. You've said all those things post foolishness. And it's because you didn't step away from the heat and you forgot who you were. And so because of that, and listen, if you're a believer, the Holy Ghost won't let you act a fool and like it. The Holy Ghost can be like, did you see you? Lord have me. The Holy Ghost like videotape. It's like CCTV. <laughs> Holy Ghost like, look at that. Look, look, look at you. So, so it will lead to regret. And you miss out on the benefits. The, the other thing that I'll say quickly. So you have to remember who you are. But you also must remember the people that are paying evil to you are completely different than you. And they have a completely different condition to their life. Jesus would say in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
Now, I want you to understand when Jesus says they know not what they do, he wasn't saying that as a morning meditation. That was a prayer to God. Father, they know not what they do. And so he thought about the fact that the people that are oppressing you are being spiritually oppressed themselves. The people that are giving evil to you are also submitting to evil themselves. They are puppets on a spring. You do not fight against flesh and blood. You fight against principalities and powers. There's something, there's a greater power you're working against. So if you just fight against people emotionally, socially, and spiritually, you will not realize there's a greater battle to fight and it begins with your prayer life. If you are, if evil is coming at you, let me give you the answer, prayer. Prayer is the answer. It is the only way you can fight through when people are treating you unfair and evil. You must, and if you don't have a prayer life, start one, amen? You need a private prayer life to deal with public evil. When people are coming at you, you need to sink your life into the glory of God. So when you walk into that office, you are hovering, praise God. You are floating. It's like, I already know what you are, amen? I know, I know what I'm dealing with. But if you fill yourself up with payback, if you fill yourself up with revenge, you will miss out on the opportunity to witness and you will regret not living out your calling on life. He not only says not to pay evil for evil, but he says in verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness. Now, I just want to point out, He's talking about suffering for righteousness, meaning you are doing the godly thing in suffering that is different than consequences. I'll amen myself on that. <laughs> you know, you late for work and they're like, they, they, they persecute me. No, 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 they're holding you accountable. <laughs> but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be what? Blessed, you'll be blessed. And this is the key, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Because there's a very good chance that you could put yourself in the position to give humans more power than God himself. Because when you're suffering, remember now, remember the context of this suffering is houses are being burned down, people are getting killed. But for them and for these folks here, can you imagine world in which homes have been burnt down? Can you imagine that kind of suffering? And so in your brain, you could also begin to think, I sure don't want to upset the emperor. Man, the emperor's got so much power. The emperor, the emperor is the one that got them killed. The emperor is the one that gave those accusations. So your brain can make the emperor so big. And so what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Don't make the emperor bigger than God himself. Our fear is about focus. Fear, when we become afraid of something, it's because we've shrunk our faith and made whatever we are afraid of bigger than God himself. And we have simply lost our perspective. Um, Y'all see our three screens? Give it up for our three screens, praise the Lord. Don't give me three screens. I don't know what to do with myself. We have a picture up here. And now if you look at this picture, right? This is a picture of the Eiffel Tower. 
The Eiffel Tower is 984 feet tall. This man is about six feet tall. But when you look at this picture from the perspective, it makes it look like a six-foot man is bigger than a 980-foot 980 foot tall tower. In reality, this is about a shift of perspective. The perspective is this man is so big, but if you only look at the tower and study the tower and realize this tower towers over that little man, you will realize this is much infinitely bigger than this. This is a little man that looks big in our eyes. The truth is that problem at work is a little problem compared to a big God. Financial issues are little issues compared to a big God. The problem isn't them, the problem is your perspective. The problem isn't fear, the problem is your focus. Realign your focus and see God for who he is. This is why the scriptures would say, this is why the scriptures would say in the next verse, honor Christ the Lord. He says, but in your hearts, in verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Because notice he says, as holy. What he's saying is, as set apart. The phrase honor means to set him up and see him for who he is. And he says, we must do this in our hearts. That's so, so the imagery there is don't be afraid of them. The, the word troubled there means don't be shaken by them, but honor the Lord. See the Lord for who he is and begin to meditate of his wonder and his beauty. This is why the, the psalmist in Psalm 34 and three would say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, exalt the name together. When we, when we magnify the Lord, it is so that we can see him for who he is. You see, if we take a magnifying glass and we put it on an ant, it makes the ant look bigger than what it is. But the Bible tells us we need to magnify the Lord. And when we magnify the Lord, it's not that we're making God bigger, it's that we're seeing him for who he is because our hearts have a problem. Our hearts shrink the Lord. Our hearts wanna shrink God down to be something he's not. So when it says magnify the Lord, it's actually saying don't make him bigger, see him for who he is. And so that I can give God all the glory and the honor and the worship. The real question is, do you recognize the majesty, the glory, and the wonder of God while you're suffering? Do you see him in the midst of trial? Do you see him? Are you recognizing his hand in all of it? So if you're only thinking about how you feel, if you're only taking into account what people are saying, if you're only looking at how unfair the situation is, then you will miss God's hand and you will miss God's glory. For we have been set up in this world to be a people set apart that will face unfairness, that will have things said about them that aren't true, that'll have people come against them and you've done nothing wrong. And we all will face this, but we all won't respond the same. And I'm telling you how you respond says everything about your intimacy with God. And so our eyes must be fixed on him. 
Our hearts must be saturated in him. Our time must be doused in him so that we would not lose our perspective. Here he tells us, set Christ apart in your hearts. So by way of review, he says, don't pay evil for evil. Don't be afraid. Honor Christ. If we do this, then in verse 15, something happens. When people start saying, where's your revenge? Where's your get back? You're going to get them back, right? When people start saying, aren't you afraid of them? Aren't you so fearful of that boss of, of, of that land? Aren't you afraid of what's going to happen? When, when, when it seems like everyone has lost their peace and you have peace and they're wondering, aren't you just overwhelmed and anxious about what's going on around us? And when you respond with a godly response, listen, it makes people curious. It makes people curious about what you hope in. And so this verse has been used in a lot of different ways. Verse 15, it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The word there, um, defense, is where we tend to get the, the phrasing for apologetics. That is defense of the faith. And this verse is often used in speaking of how can we tell the world who Jesus is? How can we explain the Bible to people? How can we come and give people insight and reasoning for why there is a God? And let me tell you, we should know how the Bible is comprised. We should be able to give a defense of our faith, but I just want you to know that is not the context of this verse. We are giving ourselves answers about Jesus. The problem is people aren't asking us questions. This verse is about people being curious about your walk with God. This isn't about teachers and students. This is about people seeing your life with God and being like, why aren't you wiling out? Why do you have peace? And I'm saying, if you follow what he says, people will wonder because they will see you suffering with peace. And so look what he says. Being prepared. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. Now notice he also doesn't say, be prepared to make a defense of Jesus even. He just says, for the hope that is in you, meaning these people may not realize it's Jesus so that you want to give an insight into our hope. So how could we miss this? One, like I said, we don't, we don't put ourselves in a context enough for people to see us have peace in the midst of suffering. But I think one of the things that we can fall into is when we do have hope in God and we have sought him out and we have trusted him, one of the things that we can do is give praise and honor to everything except Jesus. You have been so peaceful here at work and our boss is crazy. What, what, what is it? What is it? What, why are you that way? Well, I was raised that way. You, you just seem so calm. Well, I meditate in the mornings. You know, I've been doing this hot yoga. I know you said a little mark on me. That's actually some hot rocks on my arm. 
Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to get better. I'm just, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to be a better person every day. And I understand because that's what everybody at the office says. But, but what he's saying is, no, 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 be ready to tell people why you are who you are and why you're responding. In other words, he's saying be ready because if you're not ready, you will say what everyone says when you're not everyone. So he's saying you, you need to be ready. You know, in other words, you need to be in your mind already thinking about the victory that God is going to give you because you know the benefits that you have. So you're already preparing to testify before the world. But what, is, what, what happens if we don't testify? We will just make our lives simple and same as everyone else. In other words, it, perceived etiquette robs God of honor and praise. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying my best. And, and I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that just to you. I, I face the same things. I'm in, I'm in the gym and people are like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm going to church. I'm going to praise the Lord. And part of us wants to be the same. We want to fit in. And I, and I understand. But what we do is we honor God by telling the world our hope and testifying of his grace and his mercy over our lives. And so we tell the world. Would you, would you practice this with me? Say Jesus. No, say it one more time. Jesus did it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Man, you, you are so calm. Weren't your, your rent, what, what happened? You know, for so long, I saw that you, no one was noticing you at work, but then all of a sudden you got your promotion. What happened? See, now I've noticed... I've noticed you're calmer lately. What happened? Jesus. You know, I, you, you, your family just seems so well together. What do y'all read books? Do, you, do y'all go to like workshops? Your marriage seems so well. I mean, what is it y'all do? What do y'all do? Jesus. Your kids seem so calm. I mean, they're so nice. They're different than the other kids on the playground. Is it a workshop? Do you go to, do you go to Dr. Spot? I mean, what do you read? Do you read books? I mean, what do you do? Give God the glory for what he's done. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.